Welcome to Smalltalk Reflections, a weekly podcast for discussing and promoting the Smalltalk programming language. On this episode, we talk about garbage collection. My name is David Buck, and with me today is Craig Latta. Hi, Craig. Hey, David. How are you doing lately? Very well. Just had a nice uh, music gig last night. Oh, yeah, that sounds like fun. Yeah. What sort of music were you doing? Uh, we were playing some original songs uh, written by a friend of mine, Ron Gowdy. Uh, he used to be a, a record producer in Los Angeles. Uh, he's been living in Amsterdam for a while. Wow, sounds pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, it was a lot of fun. Um, I've been following and contributing to a Twitter campaign lately. Um, I don't know if you've seen it. Uh, it's a hashtag things people built with small talk. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's cool. So, uh, yeah, if anybody out there has projects that haven't been listed in that uh in that Twitter, uh, the, the, the hashtag, uh, go ahead and post it. Uh, things people built with Smalltalk. So check it out. So uh, what's new and exciting in your world? I guess you're giving a talk soon. Yeah, I'm giving a talk at uh, FOSDEM in Brussels. It's a worldwide open source developers conference. I'll be talking about distributed computation in Smalltalk. And when will that be? It takes place Saturday, 31 January through Sunday, 1 February. So it's uh, a nice little weekend there in Brussels. Oh, very interesting. So that happens to be just after uh, Pharaoh Days, uh, January 29th and January 30th Yeah. in Lille, France. Yeah, nice thing to go to next. It's uh, All the details are at fostem.org. There's no registration required. You can just show up. Yeah, and uh, for Pharaoh Days, um, you can uh, actually just Google Pharaoh Days. That's the fastest way to get you there. But uh, I've also um, put up a blog post on my blog talking about Faraday's, and we'll include a link in the show notes to both conferences. So on this episode, we're going to talk about garbage collection. Um, and let me ask you first, have you ever used a system that uh, didn't have garbage collection? Yeah, the second language I learned was C. And uh, while I was learning it, we were just using the, the bare minimum system from AT&T had no garbage collection at all. The first language I learned was Lisp, which did have it. So, but you know, by the time I learned C, I thought it was strange not to have garbage collection. It's rather unusual learning a language that has garbage collection first, actually. Yeah, I think my professors at Berkeley uh, had some good foresight there. Yeah. Just a little definition here. Uh, garbage collection is uh, a mechanism where the system can automatically free uh, space that was allocated uh, without the programmer intervention. So in C, for instance, you have to say um, malloc to get space and free to free that space. In uh, Smalltalk and Lisp and other languages, uh, you can allocate the space, but you don't have to free it. The system will detect when it's no longer being used. Yeah. Um, I can remember doing lots and lots of programming in C and Pascal and um, other languages without garbage collection. And it was a real pain, I must say. Mm -hmm. When I first started doing a project called Elastolab, um, I was writing it up in C, or rather, I should say C++. Uh -huh. And I got so frustrated uh, not being able to do garbage collection that I uh, started to implement my own reference counting garbage collection. And that wasn't quite good enough. So uh, the, the, one of the big problems I found was I would 
allocate some object, and then the method that allocated the object would hand it off to somebody else. Uh-huh. And and now the problem is who's responsible for freeing this object? If I create it here and give it to somebody else, am I responsible for freeing it, or are they responsible now that they own it? Oh yeah. And that whole ownership issue was um, a rather difficult one to keep track of. Circular garbage is a big problem with reference counting. By just having a count of how many people point to each object, if you have a circle, everybody points to the object to, to each other at least once, and then you don't get that garbage collected. Yeah, yeah. I still encounter uh, Objective C programmers uh, in iOS development who have to deal with this problem a lot. Yeah, it's uh, it's quite a problem, and. Uh, I think the biggest issue is the responsibility aspect. Who's responsible for this? And handing off responsibility from one uh, one class to another or from one method to another, um, that's actually, in theory, part of the interface. You know, I am giving you responsibility for this object. You must free it. Right. So it's tricky. Um, reference counting helps a bit. In fact, uh, did you know the first Smalltalk uh, garbage collectors were indeed reference counting garbage collectors? Yeah, I mean, that's where I first heard the term circular garbage. Um, I guess I could have heard it at the beginning of my studies when I was learning Lisp, but it just never got mentioned. But yeah, it was back in the, uh, in the ObjectWorks days when I first heard that term when I was working at uh, Park Place. Right. So um, reference counting is sort of the first line of attack for garbage collection. Although, to be honest, it's not used terribly much these days. There are still systems that do use reference counting, mm-hmm. but, but systems that advertise that they have garbage collection don't really use reference counting. Sort of a universal that everybody has in some form is one called mark and sweep. Right. Now, mark and sweep assumes that all of your objects are accessible from one or from a, maybe a small number of root objects and that you can traverse through all the objects in memory. So it makes those two assumptions. So what it does is basically traverses through all the objects and marks them as, let's say, unmarked. Then it goes through the ones that it knows are accessible and then traverses through all the accessible ones and marks them as marked. And then finally makes another pass through and anything that's still unmarked is garbage. So uh, that's uh, a good technique, but it's slow. Yeah, it's, it's easy to understand. It has that going for it. Easy to understand, uh, but it does have to loop through all of the objects in the system about three times. Uh, every object twice and um, all the active objects once. Yeah. So I can remember back in the early days of Smalltalk when it had to do garbage collection and was doing a mark and sweep, that it would show up this little um, sort of garbage icon and stay there for like five seconds or so while it does a garbage collect. Mm-hmm. Now, did uh, weak references show up while we were still in that period, or did it not happen until after generational scavenging came on the scene? Uh, generation scavenging came on the scene quite early, so uh, that was the next uh, big improvement in garbage collection. So uh, the idea behind generation scavenging is most of the objects in the system are actually old objects that have been there forever, and or for a long time, let's say. And there's no point going through them again and again and again during a mark and sweep garbage collect. So what they do is they divide the system into multiple spaces. And uh, they have a space for what we call new space. Then they have old space. And then there's a mechanism for moving objects from new space into old space. 
And then the trick is that you uh, keep track of the objects in new space that are referenced from objects in old space. And those are the ones that you need to garbage collect or that you need to traverse rather to see if they are garbage. And it uses a mechanism where it copies data from one area to another instead of trying to uh, like free objects and uh, have a linked list of free objects or things like that. It just says anything that's used, anything that's accessible, I'm going to copy from this area over to that area. They have two areas called uh, survivor spaces. And um, I'll, I'll copy everything into the inactive survivor space so everything's contiguous. And everything left over, then I don't have to worry about. So it's a very fast algorithm. It only takes milliseconds to do a generation scavenge. And objects will basically pop back and forth between very, uh, two survivor spaces. Once they've gone back and forth enough, then they're tenured. Oh, I see. You, you say you were waiting milliseconds for generation scavenging to happen. How does that compare to mark and sweep? Mark and sweep could take several seconds. Oh, wow. An eternity. An eternity, yes. In fact, you don't notice generation scavenging going on because it happens so quickly. Uh, the only way you can see it is by looking at the garbage collection tuning tools that are available. Mm -hmm. And you can see, oh, yeah, in the last uh, 30 seconds, I did uh, so many scavenges. Yeah. Uh, so it really doesn't interfere with the system at, uh, very much at all. If, you're, if you have very, very hard real-time concerns, then uh, generation scavenging uh, may still interrupt that. In general, uh, uh, generation scavenging is quick enough that you don't notice. Right. And I imagine there are some small talk systems that let you interact with the scavenger in a way where you, you can uh, do real-time programming and have it sort of work around you. To some extent. I've seen um, uh, a friend of mine was doing some uh, music software, actually, for his, uh, his uh, graduate uh, program back at Carleton University. And he was doing it in Smalltalk 80. Oh, no, maybe, maybe it was Digitalk. I forget which one. In any event, what he would do is to make sure that there's no garbage collection going on during critical portions. Uh, he would sort of pre-allocate objects and then make sure that uh, all of the work that he did was uh, very simple and didn't create large objects. And that basically got rid of the garbage collector. You can't actually turn it off. It has to be running all the time. But by pre-allocating objects and trying not to make much garbage, you can uh, minimize its effect. And uh, you can also tweak uh, the sizes of the garbage collection spaces. So it'll garbage collect perhaps more frequently or less frequently. Right. And when I was at Interval Research, we were using uh, something derived from Squeak. So, of course, we could make whatever changes to the virtual machine and the garbage collector that we wanted. And as I recall, uh, yeah, we did have support for actually saying, don't do any garbage collection at all during this, you know, video vertical blanking interval or whatever, you know, for a 60th of a second and then turn it back on again. But that was a pretty extreme case. Yeah, I don't know what would happen then if you said don't do garbage collection at all and then you start to run out of memory in your survivor spaces. Yeah, but I guess as you were saying, if you have already set up your spaces to be very well attuned to your application, you sort of know how much space you're using and you know that you're not going to run short of memory in that time where you have the collector masked out. And in fact, uh, uh, you can explicitly tell the system to do a garbage collect now. So you basically get sort of all that work done ahead of time 
And then when the critical time comes, you're not likely to need to do a garbage collect. Right. In addition to generation scavenging and mark and sweep, there are other varieties of garbage collection that are sort of built right into modern small talks. Things like uh, incremental garbage collection, which is a mark and sweep, but it doesn't stop the system while it's garbage collecting, so you can keep running. Um, and there's a compacting garbage collector, which saves space by uh, compacting all the uh, the objects together into contiguous areas, so there are no blank spots within your memory. Uh-huh. Those are just variations of garbage collection. So now the question is, how does that affect your programming? Uh, it actually has a big effect on how you program. Uh, you, you no longer have to worry about ownership of objects, and objects can come and go freely. Uh, there's no issue with it. Yeah, I mean, that's a completely different mindset. And it not only changes the way you think while you're composing your object models and your algorithms, but it lets you do all sorts of interactive things with your system as well. I mean, this gives you the freedom to do exploratory programming in the debugger, for example, like we were talking about before. Yeah, uh, it, it solves a lot of those issues. The other thing in Smalltalk is that since everything is an object in Smalltalk, our objects are very, very fine-grained. Uh, floats are objects. Doubles are objects. Strings are objects. And we deal with those on a regular basis all of the time. So for us to have to... Uh, take care of uh, allocation and freeing of the memory space for a float would be atrociously difficult. Yeah. So garbage collection just removes all that um, all that concern and uh, just takes care of the objects for us. So that makes a big difference to programming. Yeah, in fact, I, I would guess that the main reason that the Smalltalk team wanted garbage collection in the first place was to support uh, interactive and exploratory programming. And it's so vital because um, it's it's so hard to keep track of the objects. And uh, with this exploratory type programming, you are creating lots of objects all the time and not caring so much about what happens when they're, when they're no longer being used. Yeah. Um, I've, I once talked to somebody who was working on a, a C++ project and... Um, asked him, what would it be like if you didn't have to worry about freeing your memory? And for him, that was that was a revelation. It's like, no, no, you have to worry about freeing your memory. No, no, what if you had a system that could take care of all that for you? It would detect when you had memory that was no longer being used. He says, oh, my God, that would just be, that would be incredible. That would be awesome. <laughs> right. <laughs> just, he just couldn't conceive of a system that could possibly do that. Yeah. I'm James T. Savage, and this is the Smalltalk Jobs Report. Bruce Enel, our EU contributor, reports that in Tegerweil in Switzerland, Parabo has a position for a Smalltalk developer who has a degree in computer science or equivalent experience, experience with the Smalltalk programming language, VisualWorks preferred, and you must be fluent and fluid in German, both written and spoken. Malta, New York, USA. Global Foundries is looking for a software engineer who has a BS degree in computer science, engineering, or information systems, relevant intern experience, or one-plus years of experience as an EI engineer automating semiconductor manufacturing equipment, experience developing software for Unix or Linux operating systems, object-oriented development methods, and Smalltalk, Java, or C-sharp. 
an in-depth understanding of semi-software standards, operation models and state diagrams, and equipment automation experience using the semi-software standards. It is considered a plus if you have experience with Smalltalk, supporting infrastructure using MQ, XML, and CORBA, experience developing and sustaining software solutions in support of mission-critical systems in a 24 by 7 operational environment, experience in a 300 millimeter wafer fab, and in a semiconductory foundry. The jobs listed in this report are just a few examples of the Smalltalk positions that are currently open across the world. For more details, read our shared blog at smalltalkjobs.com. Good luck with your job hunting. The funny thing is, back in the early days, uh, Smalltalk and Lisp had garbage collection from way, way back. And I can remember back in the late 1980s, maybe into the 1990s, the thing was always that um, Smalltalk was being compared to C++. And the garbage collector was seen as one of those things that was a negative from the C++ people, that uh, they thought that would, that would take too much time and be too inefficient. Mm-hmm. And so they were saying, oh, yeah, garbage collection is a problem in Smalltalk because it causes these pauses in your processing. And, of course, nowadays Java has garbage collection. And, in fact, it has generation scavenging garbage collection just like Smalltalk does. And everybody thinks that's a great thing now. <laughs> yeah, even without all the dynamic and interactive programming uh, features that you get with Smalltalk, people think it's a great thing. Yeah, uh, in fact, uh, the uh, the people who are using Objective-C and uh, Apple, they have to sort of justify why it is that they don't really have a garbage collection. And they sort of say, well, we kind of sort of have garbage collection in this kind of sort of way. Right. But uh, yeah, it's become quite the, um, quite the popular thing these days. Uh, most modern object-oriented languages have some sort of garbage collection, mm-hmm. which I find immensely ironic considering the early uh, C++ versus Smalltalk uh, battles back in the 1990s. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a pleasant vindication. <laughs> that it is. Uh, every once in a while, um, I have objects that I think I've freed because I've lost the pointer to them. And uh, then I find that they've reoccurred. They've re- recreated themselves. Maybe I had a window and I closed the window. So I think, okay, those objects are gone now. But you can actually get those back if the garbage collector hasn't run yet. Right. There's a, a, a method in Smalltalk called all instances, which will go through memory and pull out all instances of that class. And if your object hasn't been garbage collected, it'll bring it back for you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's like, whoa, why do I have three instances of this window when I only have one of them open? Well, that's because you didn't do a garbage collect before you did your all instances. Yeah, occasionally in Smalltalk, you find yourself uh, manually saying, okay, collect all garbage now because I'm going to do something where I really want to be sure that stuff I'm not using anymore is actually gone. Yeah, and uh, that's one prime example of uh, making sure that stuff is gone if you're trying to look for um, specific objects in memory and making sure that the ones that you don't want have been removed. Yeah. And every once in a while, as you say, if you've done, let's say, a lot of work and you know you've created a lot of garbage, you may want to explicitly do a garbage collect just to make sure that that's all gone. 
so uh, it's 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 a good thing to do every once in a while. Although it's it's fairly rare that you need to explicitly garbage collect. Right, and this sort of brings us to a subtopic of finalization uh, and weak references. There are interesting little uh, facilities you can build off of the garbage collector. Like you may want to automatically do something when an object is actually reclaimed from the system. Yeah, for example, if you've allocated an object or created an object that holds onto a file handle, you may want to close the file before the object is garbage collected. Right, but not have to think about it yourself uh, manually, just set it up uh, at the beginning of your app. Right. So Smalltalk, uh, most Smalltalks these days have some sort of uh, what we call finalization, which is uh, some action to do when the object is garbage collected, and um, uh, weak references, which are basically collections that will point to objects, but they don't count in terms of holding on to those objects in memory. So if an object only has weak references to it, then it can be uh, garbage collected without a problem. Right. And so one obvious use or sort of semi-obvious use of uh, weak references is to implement finalization because you want to be able to do some processing without yourself causing objects to stick around. Right. And uh, sometimes that's a little bit funky because if uh, if you're doing finalization, you really can't do certain things or you shouldn't do certain things that you think you should be able to do, like take that object which is being garbage collected and then assign it into a variable. So it's no longer being garbage collected. So now what? Right. Another uh, area where I've seen weak references used is to implement dependency. Um, for example, as part of the model view controller framework. Yeah. In fact, that was a big problem uh, before they had weak references there. That um, if for some reason one of your windows closed abruptly and didn't do the proper cleanup, there was this dependence collection that would hold on to... Um, dependencies between objects in your UI framework. And basically all those networks of objects would stay alive because of that one dependency. By uh, making dependence a weak collection, it meant that uh, the the existence of those dependencies uh, didn't cause those objects to stay in memory. And that uh, that solved a lot of problems. I've seen people have images that were growing up to hundreds of megabytes just because they had weak references, or I should say they had dependence references to objects that were no longer being used. Right. Yeah, so I would say the original driver for finalization was a cleanup of external resources, and the original driver for weak references was uh, GUI programming. I would tend to agree. Um, The other thing then is if you're working in a system that has garbage collection, there are various things you can do to tune the garbage collection to your application. So sometimes the default space sizes are not quite right. Um, they might be too small for what you're what you're doing. Uh, it could be that a lot of objects are being uh, tenured prematurely. So maybe you use objects for a little while, but um, not very long, but that little while is long enough for those objects to go into old space, and then it's harder to garbage collect them. Right. So all small talks have some mechanism for tuning the garbage collector. Uh, it's a little bit tricky doing. It's You really have to measure where the problems are and what the system is doing. It's possible to tune the garbage collector so that uh, you can get better performance out of the system. Mm-hmm. So that's... Uh, 
That's something of a little bit of a black art, I would say. Not many people are very good at it, I don't think. Right. For this uh, video-based project I was doing at Interval, we had to do a lot of tuning. What's an interesting uh, story about GC tuning from your history? Um, with um, many systems, they would, like for years, VisualWorks had a very small space for survivor spaces. And so uh, they would, uh, when, when you allocate objects, it would go into a survivor space, but they'd very quickly get tenured. Mm-hmm. And so I've, I went into projects where it took some processes like five or ten minutes to run. And I was looking at it. Why is it so long? Well, your objects are getting tenured all the time. So um, I went in, increased the space sizes by 10 times, and that 5 to 10 minutes dropped down to seconds. Oh, wow. It's like, it's incredible how much of a difference it makes. The other thing I found was um, for one project, uh, they tended to load a lot of data into memory and just keep it there. So in that case, you want... um, you want your objects put into old space fairly quickly. So actually for that, for that project, what we ended up doing is preloading a lot of data into the image, saving it in the image that we deployed to the customer, and then they no longer had to load it. Mm-hmm. But uh, increasing those survivor space sizes quite often will make a big difference to performance if you're running into this tenuring problem, which is quite often actually. Right. And what other tools did you use to profile the performance of the garbage collector? Um, I'm talking here mostly about VisualWorks. Uh, in VisualWorks, there's a class called Object Memory, which has all sorts of uh, calls you can make to determine um, how often things are garbage collected and how much data is in each or how much memory is in each of the spaces and so on. Mm-hmm. So just by looking at that, you can get some idea. Uh, there's also a memory profiler that's available from VisualWorks, and you can run that on your application and see what your memory profiles are like. Oh, cool. So those help out. Um, I know some people have in the past have come in with sort of custom tools to determine uh, where your uh, performance problems are with garbage collection. Um, I don't have access to those tools, but uh, you know, some people did have their own custom tools that they wrote. I find the, 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 the facilities built in are sufficient for finding those problems. You just have to know about them. Yeah. And in the Squeak and Faro worlds, I've seen some people do some visualization of the garbage collector performance with uh, frameworks like Moose. Yeah, Moose is a very interesting framework. It has some uh, very nice results that come out of it, very graphical ways of showing your system. Yeah. I haven't done a whole lot of tuning. This is not something that you do sort of on a, a regular basis. But uh, when you get started on a project and you notice that things are really slow, check out your garbage collection. Check out how many times you're doing scavenging and how often objects are moved into old space. And then finally, once they're in old space, how often does a full garbage collect get rid of those objects? And uh, you might find that by uh, increasing the size of your survivor spaces, it could make a big difference. Mm-hmm. Um, visual work specifically, there's one more setting that you might want to tweak um, and this is your what's called a growth regime um, threshold basically there's a point at which the um, the system decides whether it's better to grab to allocate more space from the system or to just try a full garbage collect and uh, up until a certain point it's happy to allocate more space from the system but uh, after it gets so many megabytes in uh, old space, it says, well, gee, maybe before I do a, 
maybe maybe before I allocate more space from the system, I'll try doing a full garbage collect first. So it does a full garbage collect, doesn't find anything available, so it allocates more space. But it slows you down now. Every time you need to grow old space, it has to do a full garbage collect before it allocates. Right. So by changing that uh, growth regime threshold, uh, you can increase that amount and have the system be happier at allocating more old space before it has to uh, do a garbage collect. So just subtleties like this that are very hard for people to figure out, hard for people to find out about, that make a big difference to the performance of your system. Right. Yeah, it seems like a reasonable price to pay for most of the time being able to not have to bother about memory management at all. To be honest, I can't imagine programming Smalltalk without having some sort of garbage collector that worked well. Yeah. It's just inconceivable that you'd have to take every object that you've created and then free it. Uh, if you can imagine just a floating point expression, you know, 3.0 times 4.0 square root, whatever, every floating point object that you create from that, you have to free. Yeah, no, not really. <laughs> um, one system that I worked on years ago was a small talk prototype for a, uh, a system that would be coded ultimately in COBOL. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, it was an object COBOL. They were very proud of that. This was object-oriented COBOL. And um, they said, write your prototypes up in Smalltalk and we will translate them to Object COBOL. Okay, so we wrote up a prototype in Smalltalk and gave it to them. And they went away for a bit and they came back and said, but but you're doing stuff that we can't translate to COBOL. And I said, like, what's that? Well, COBOL doesn't handle recursion because it doesn't have a stack like that. It doesn't do stacks for its calls. So you can't do recursion. Oh, wow. Now, for Smalltalk programmers, stacks are like, that's just built into the way the call mechanism works. And that's all managed and garbage collected and everything. It's it's all easy for them. That was notoriously difficult. Wow. So uh, we had to take our code and try and find out places where maybe we were calling uh, a function or a method that called another method that called the first one again. Oh, that's recursive. So if you can imagine just trying to do uh, the equivalent of a print string uh, when the print string method is defined in object and things that you call from print string also call print string, that's recursive. You can't do that. Wow. They eventually managed to find all the places where it recursed and they had to code them specially in the assembly language or something. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, that that was interesting. But it shows the difference between a system that has a very rigid, static memory system like COBOL and a much more dynamic one like Smalltalk. In COBOL, you have to declare all the space ahead of time. You know exactly how much memory everything's going to take. In Smalltalk, nope, it's always variable. Yep. Although, of course, there's nothing stopping you from expressing patterns that you've noticed uh, in your code if you want to. You just don't have to. Right. And it's it's good to see that a garbage collection has taken hold of uh, modern programming languages uh, outside of Smalltalk, so that at least that technique is is well known and well used. Yeah, because it is invaluable. I can't imagine working without it. Well, I think that pretty much wraps up this topic. You can email us at smalltalkreflections at thiscontext dot com. You can tweet me with at buckdk, and you can tweet to me at c c r r a a i i g g. You can visit our blog at smalltalkreflections dot blogspot dot com and leave a comment there, or you can post a review on iTunes. 
Craig Ladder performed the music and edited the podcast. I'll see you next week, Craig. See you next week.